Episode 2 for Daleks. Hello and welcome back to Into the Black Archive, the podcast where we are attempting to get through every single Doctor Who episode. Even the classic ones. Yes, we're not kidding. The whole thing will be here for years. It may kill us, but we'll see. If so, it'll be broadcasted on death, which is, you know, just as good. And on that touching and heartwarming note, I'd like to introduce my co-host Owen Cranston. Good morning, I bring for cheer to this podcast. <laughs> uh, and I'm James Stevenson and I'm the other co-host of this madness. The only thing which goes on longer than all the Doctor Who episodes is us attempting to record. That's all I'm going to say. The amount of we... time it's taken us to try to record this, we could have recorded all the episodes, like the next month's podcast and the time it took us to record this one half an hour show. Really, what we're doing with this podcast is we're doing 25% podcast, but we're, we actually enjoy the tech issues more, so we do that for a lot longer. <laughs> anyway, this is episode two of Into the Black Archive, which means we have moved past An Unearthly Child and our introductions to Will and to Susan and to Ian and to Barbara. But now we're getting introduced to a new character. Can I just ask? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, William William Hartnell. Yeah, William Hartnell. I thought, I thought you meant the character. I was thinking, who no, the hell no... is William? <laughs> yeah, I, I realised very... that as I said it. <laughs> I was, but it's very confused. It's a nice way to differentiate between the thirteen Doctors and the War One. It's it's <laughs> it's perfectly fine. But one thing you can't mistake is the certain aliens we got introduced uh, to in this episode, which is helpfully called the Daleks. Not to be mistaken with Dalek. Yes, not to be mistaken with the 2005 Dalek. This is the 1963 Terry Nation penned seven-part serial, The Daleks. Yes, seven long episodes. Mm, they are they are long, aren't they? Uh, tell you what, in terms of... Let's go move away from long, and I'm going to ask you for short. Can you give me the synopsis of the seven parts of The Daleks, Owen, in one minute? I'll time you. Start now. In their rush to escape the tribe of gum, the Doctor Who sets round coordinates in the TARDIS to get away quickly, ending up in a seemingly dead world, Scarrow. Our time-travelling group end up in hot water and the Doctor tries to trick his companions into travelling into a deserted city, only to find out it's splitting out for bits with metal aliens calling themselves Daleks. They manage to escape capture after getting help from their from pacifist fouls. However, the Team Tardis can't yet escape. With the Doctor's ploy backfiring, they cannot leave Scarrow without facing the Daleks again. Ian has to go back again against his moral code to help the Fowls to fight against the Daleks to allow the Doctor and his companion to escape. It's a race against time to set off before a nuclear bomb is set off. See, that sounds like the plot of um, like a 90-minute movie. And you did do it in 60 seconds quite comfortably. I think we did it in 45 there. I, I, I got panicked towards the end. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> Uh, you sounded panicked at the start. <laughs> but anyway, it sounds like a 90-minute movie, I guess, in plot. But it's about three hours long, this. Yeah, which I think comes on to my first complaint about it. Mm. It it has good set pieces. But my God, do some parts drag. It takes a lot of time to get to the bits you want in this serial. A lot of time. Like, there's one instant... In episode two, where Susan has to run to the TARDIS, we'll get, go back onto a bit more ordering, but this kind of feeds into this. It seems to take her around just three minutes of running through forests. 
where nothing else happens. It's just her rapidly running through the forest and glancing backwards at herself. Mm. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's part two. I mean, part one, the Daleks don't show up until right at the end of part one. So you're spending the first 20, 24 minutes of this just kind of, this is a dead planet. Okay, this foliage isn't moving. What the hell's going on? I sort of like that, though. Because our first... Our first episode of The Unearthly Child, it was a very much a crash, these are your companions. Crash, these, this is the storyline. Crash, we're running away. At least at the beginning of this one here, we had a short period of time where we were getting to know the characters. So Because I know which last week we were complaining about Barbara and Susan not really having much. Mm. But I felt which that little bit at the beginning sort of gave us time to sort of... Well, we didn't really get to know them in that sort of first book bit. We got more comfortable in their company. Yeah, and I do like the part in part one where Susan and Barbara have that conversation at the side of the TARDIS because Susan essentially thinks that she's had a hand touch her shoulder and Mm. the Doctor has immediately dismissed it because it's illogical and can't have happened because the planet is dead. What they Mm. don't know is Scaro is dead. Um, And Barbara goes over and they have this really nice emotional conversation, Barbara saying that um, she believes Susan and it's really nice. It's a really nice it's a really nice way of us meeting for characters. And also, can I just say, for two teachers, they are teachers. Oh you yeah, can tell. Full on teachers. The dynamics are getting stronger, definitely, as they go on, and you start to see where people's mm-hmm. roles are really beginning to fit. Yeah, and I think for person who goes with the biggest character arc in this episode is Susan. Yeah, by Miles. I think while I was criticizing the overextended run for TARDIS, it took forever. But mm. as soon as she's done that point, she's faced her fears of running alone through this forbidden forest, which she's fairly sure something else is in there with her. Yeah, she it's a actually big, big becomes challenge. so much more brave. Last episode, we were complaining about her screaming at everything. Like she, she at one point straight up shoves herself in front of a Dalek to try to trick him. Yeah, although I mean, she is screaming for a lot of this episode. She screams with a bravery <laughs> that she didn't have before, and she has a really nice arc in this. I think she screams with more bravery, but she actually is trying to put herself into situations rather than just going, oh god, the Doctor's not here. Which is essentially what happened last episode. Yeah, she was basically powerless. And that was one of my criticisms of Unearthly Child, is, is you had Susan and Barbara, who just kind of came across as very women as depicted by men in the 1960s, re- very reliant and not very independent as characters. But that is improved on in this episode. It is improved on. Yeah, because... There is a little bit of hints of it here and there, but you can definitely see which Barbara is getting her hands dirty. She's volunteering to wander off to different places. She's she's going to it, she's wandering caves with the fowls and accidentally dropping them, but we can ignore that. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> Barbara get Barbara gets scot free for killings of aliens. It's no problem. <laughs> Ian, I think I feel like he's still the moral compass of this group, like what I said last week. Yeah. What I was going to say about Ian, and I've been saving this point for when we were going to chat about it, is that Ian is trying to be what he thinks the Doctor should be. It feels like there's a particular point where they're having to debate around whether they should try to forget Faust to attack, where it seems to be they all seem to be trying to lead the Doctor down the right path, particularly Ian. Well, let's take this chronologically then, or as chronologically as we can. I just want to quickly say two things. Actually, I think maybe only one thing. Particularly about the Doctor's character through this. Particularly towards the end, I feel like he was starting to see he might not he might actually need to get involved in things. Yes. Because previously, from most of this ep- from a lot of this episode and the episode previously, he's 
a lot of let's just come here then leave again mm. or even not even go there let's take some rock samples and leave but towards the end when he's facing the Daleks which we'll go into more depth later he generally seems to feel like he might need to actually start not being God but he needs to actually start involving himself in things yeah he needs to interfere for the common good which is yes. really the whole theme of the show and and yeah it's starting to come through especially by right at the end mm. when the true extent of the evil is unfurled and it is actually two things i was going to say all right <laughs> so this is going to be a different look of character it's going to be char- look at character from now and what it is 60 years in future to now mm. and that's the daleks have a daleks are characterized here We'll go more in depth about their influences in them and the subtext and all that stuff. Yeah. But they seem to be a lot more intelligent here yes. than they do in modern stuff. The Daleks are agree? slightly... Yeah, I do. I, I think the Daleks are slightly more human. Slightly more. Current who, who it's Daleks seem to be shoot, shoot, shoot. But yeah. Exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. Oh, look, we've just killed everyone. We need to take over the planet. Here it was discuss what we're going to do slightly sadistic with let's make them feel comfortable and then then kill them Mm. let's lure everyone into a trap and it seems to be a lot more talking between them rather than hive minding it yeah i mean it's very very rare that in modern who you've had conversations really with daleks or at least conversations with daleks that haven't or aren't markedly known as different like we've seen like dalek khan or something but Mm. dalek khan essentially his mind has been destroyed by the time war so he's allowed to talk in mad things there was also that victory of the daleks one wasn't there when the world war Two one with matt smith where he gets to uh the dalek ship and the new daleks are there and the old daleks are like we are inferior and they do all that stuff equally with that bit there there's no sort of conversation between the older tar dalek the newer daleks even if they should kill them but i feel like if, yeah if we were in for dalek mindset which we've just seen from this episode it would be a bit more of should we kill them should we exterminate them? Mm. Is this right? It, oddly enough. Anyway, that's the characterization of the Dalek, which I think is a bit different. They seem less definite. Like Certainly in New Who, mm. it is just like, there is one plan. It's kill everything in sight. This one is like, they're creating interesting plans and traps. They're luring the characters mm. in. And they're definitely, they're very different. And you can also just from their chart, how much that evolution has undergone since 63 Mm. it's very interesting and i quite like the daleks in this i I think they're great and i think strangely enough because we've had discussions about because we found the montage of all the different dalek voices and we're Mm. saying which which briggs is our is our favorite one current current voice of the daleks however despite not having anything to look back on i'm gonna say which these are probably second best these are really good daleks i mean they're the voice and the look for 1963, is really, really good. Really good. It's like what I was saying at the end of last episode. It's, they came across their sort of like spotlight enemy, their standout enemy, mm. very fast. Yeah, they were fantastic from the off. I was comparing it to the Borg in Star Trek, and it took them basically most of the next generation before they came across the Borg. Yeah, that was like series three or four of TNG would have been Borg. Yeah, but this was episode two of the first season. Story two of the first season, even. Straight in there with the Daleks. Yeah. And they're immediately very, very good. I mean, even... All right, the exterminations look cheap, let's be honest. Uh, but they they have a sense of fear. You can see 
why they were kids terrified of the Daleks in 1963, 1964. Mm. You really can. Like, back then, this would have been like, whoa. However, I do have to admit, I did laugh at the Daleks at some points. Particularly, yeah. particularly when they're holding up sheets of paper to each other on their suckers. <laughs> they had and to it, look, said, they were improvising. It, it, it looked like they, were, they had literally just sucked it into the sucker and then were just going... I can't read this myself, mate. Just read it. Just read it. You read it instead. <laughs> Reading takes two Daleks here. It just Reading so... is a two Dalek process. It did just look ridiculous, I'll be honest. It, it's why Dalek Book Club is so popular. They need twice the guests. <laughs> Imagine how many people it takes to change the page. <laughs> they, have, they have to have one to hold it, one to read it, and one sucker to half pass it over because they can't then cross it over the other person's hand. So I'm going to yeah, say around four Daleks. It'll... It's like, what four Daleks to turn to turn the page of a book? So that's my hypothesis. Yeah, it's ha- instead of how many people does it take to change the light bulb? It's how many. I was Daleks literally about to say. To <laughs> I was about to say. Well, how how many Daleks would it take to change the light bulb then, Owen? Uh, one, if it's for levitating Daleks, because then they can just suck. They can fly up, oh, yeah. suck it, and then turn it around. Yeah, yeah, the, oh, yeah. The modern Daleks—they have got no problem. But these old Daleks, I reckon you're looking at—you might be able to do it with one Dalek, but you'd need a lot of effort. You need—you need a lift. Yeah, you need a lift to do it. But the lift has its own light. What if it's the light in the lift? Just got this like eternal struggle of a Dalek and a lift constantly trying with their sucker to reach a light bulb. They'll never. <laughs> difficult one it's because their suckers actually extend quite far oh yeah yeah they've got quite long suckers in this one so got, it could got be them quite, thick quite easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> it well, depends how high up it is let's analyze the that's a good point <laughs> that that's a good point actually in the sets the, the roofs aren't that high in most of the corridors yeah they're not that high do you reckon do you reckon they could get up there this is actually something which i was going to Mention going slightly back on track, but uh, <laughs> what did you notice? How the set, how the corridor sets when because when they get because the doctor and companions gets imprisoned after they venture into the into the Dalek um, town, uh, the yeah. Dalek comes in to give them food. The hallways aren't big enough for the Daleks to turn around, so they just kind of awkwardly reverse. Yeah, they just kind of reverse out. And every time I saw that, that made me laugh. It just makes you think, that, right, right then, Daleks, why have you built an underground city that isn't fit for purpose? Anyway, let, let's go slightly back on track from Daleks changing light bulbs. <laughs> Which I think is as valid a point as anything we're going to make for, for however long Which, this lasts. I think, I think this is the thing which we're going to just have to ask for people. Tweet us at Black Archive Pod on Twitter and tell us how many Daleks would it take to change a light bulb or to change a page of a book at book at Dalek Book Club. Either or is fine. You can also, if you're an avid Doctor Who fan, hypothesise how other aliens of the series would do with light bulb changing. Perhaps the Slovene have a technique we don't know about. <laughs> That's actually a good point because their claws are very big. So I don't know how much. Let's go off. Let's let's stop. Let's stop right, this. right. Right. We will stop this. But I'm just going to say they are tall enough because they're what they're like seven feet, aren't they? Yeah. 
for the city. So they'd be tall enough to get there, but it's the claws that might cause problems for them. Let's go chronologically. Yes. Right. So, chronologically, here's my summation of what happens. Doctor and companions arrive, Mm -hmm. realising that the planet is dead. They have a look around. They see a city in the distance. They try to go back to the ship. Susan feels a touch on her hand. And then next thing you know, they are suddenly finding themselves in a underground city because uh, the TARDIS misfires uh, it doesn't misfire the Doctor tricks them into thinking it has misfired of course yeah sorry Doctor tricks them takes them to the city where Barbara is cornered by a Dalek that's episode one they meet the Daleks and they realise there's a war going on with the Thals and oh and if you want to jump in on the Thals which is an interesting one so I'm not going to jump in Thals but I'm going to jump in with the first half of what you've just said so okay. we can discuss the other stuff which is going on Alright. So this is something which I was discussing last week. The guy counter in the TARDIS. It has a flashing light. They were in that ship for at least a night. How did no one notice a flashing light? Don't worry about these things. If it doesn't have a sound effect, no one hears it. That flashing lights are the most irritating things to notice. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing where as a scriptwriter myself, I look at that and go, Terry you haven't thought about this. <laughs> they would have probably noticed that. Because what ends up happening is they don't figure it out until second episode. No, like, I understand Susan not noticing it the first time. It's a faulty guy counter. But surely when you, you go outside of the TARDIS and notice which everything looks dead, it's a petrified forest, especially for Doctor, surely he must be sat there going, what could have caused this? But he doesn't. He doesn't go and double check. He just goes on. Yeah. And next thing you know, episode two is when they figure out that they've all got radiation sickness, which is a which is a whole drama. Yes. And actually, and sorry, going on to the transition between episode one and episode two, because last week we were complaining about their cliffhangers. Hmm. They learned how to do cliffhangers properly on episode one between episode between episode one and episode two. They really did, didn't they? Because best cliffhanger they've done yeah because before that if it was oh look caves have had their skulls caved in but sure but this one is like we see the we see the plunger coming out barbara's in great jeopardy and peril we don't even see anything more of that at the dalek it's a great introduction to and that then moves us on to episode two when they get imprisoned Hmm. when they get imprisoned they send susan out to get the anti-radiation drugs from the fouls they meet up Susan sends them a note, which I think Daleks might have falsified bits of. I'm still not entirely sure in my head what happened there. A little bit, yeah. I, I felt like something had happened, but nothing was overly said. So I think something like that happened. Um, the only time I felt tense so far during the first and second story in this was that hard scene when they're in for jail trying to get rid of the power from the Daleks. Hmm. That's the only time I've felt tense so far. Yeah, because that is... The good thing about why that works is that they've built up how powerful the Daleks are very, very well. So mm. you know that the stakes are high. Yeah. So um, they're in for jail. They figure out with Daleks receive their power from metal floors, so they put an insulation underneath it. Which brings us on to a point which we both agreed we wanted to talk about and mm. complain about. 
how much the Daleks have changed. Yeah, the Daleks essentially needing... Well, they kind of work like they... They literally say it in the script, don't they? They work like dodgems at a fairground. Yeah, they need static electricity from the floor. Which is great from an educational standpoint, because obviously DW was meant to be educational at the time. I mean, that's why the BBC put it there. So it's a nice little lesson on how static electricity works and Mm. how everything's conducting and why putting insulation down is a really good solution. But certainly compared to you know great big flying daleks we've got now i mean it really has come a long way yeah because i mean if we look at that and how if a dalek change for light bulb when it can't even leave a floor yeah although if they can touch the roof if it's all made of metal they're still getting static uh the plunger rubber though isn't it we need to get off this subject <laughs> no it's like it's rubber metal i, I, I don't know <laughs> Um, but also the other thing as well which we mentioned later on in the episode which is my favourite part is that we essentially get high Daleks mm. Dalek which is just high on anti-radiation drugs just go it's <laughs> unbelievable I was going to bring that up I, I, I didn't think we'd seen like the full breadth of the serial and then what was it episode 5 wasn't it this happened where they're getting the I'm they get the drug fairly testing. sure it was episode 5 yeah, they get, and all of a sudden, it's that POV wavy shot where it's just like, Aah! it's just that for Daleks, it's just gonna go. Aah! It it was essentially, um, it was essentially the Dalek with just loads of Daleks floating around himself, like like Bohemian Rhapsody, just like that. <laughs> Are you saying that Queen copied Doctor? <laughs> So essentially the whole thing with the, um, the regeneration, is it? I can't remember which Doctor experience. Either, I don't think it's one and two, but I don't think it's two to three. I think it's three to four. Isn't that essentially what their regeneration is? The Rapsity, Rap- where they have the Doctors facing around each other. Yes. No, no, no. That's two. That's two. Yeah, because that... that's after Trial of a Time Lord. Okay. Yeah, that's from Troughton to Pertwee is the regeneration you're thinking of. Yeah, that's essentially what they did there. So we then meet the Fowls, which are very deeply pacifist after... Because essentially the backstory between Fowls and Daleks are is that there was a thousand-year war, 500-year war. I'm not entirely sure how long it was. It was a, quite a long war. I think 500 years, So they said. Well, the Daleks were essentially hunkered down, experimenting on themselves. The Fowls essentially looped back on themselves with getting changed by radiation stuff to be quite handsome. Hmm. I'm going to say that. Um, turn out well. But they're now deeply, they're deeply pacifist because they don't want to make the same mistakes they made previously. Which comes into the interesting bit about Doctor Who, which particularly everyone complains about now. How it's very political. Yeah, the, there and is a lot it, of subtext in this program. I'm going to go as far as saying it's not subtext. It's very clearly stated at some points. It is about what a nuclear war would do. And certainly in 1963, even... that was a worry. Not even that. It was So what essentially the argument which they're putting, what they're, what they're saying here is, is that the Daleks are essentially massive racists, potentially Nazis. I'd say Nazis. And in it's Ian at one point literally goes, they hate anything which isn't themselves. Hmm. So essentially what the story, the entire story is, is essentially saying which you can't be a pacifist against extremism. 
Yeah, which is a big statement. It's very bluntly said. It's not it, really even subtext. It's straight up said. Yeah, it is when... Because after they escape, and then they go through that whole... Um, episode four is like a whole ambush, where the Thals are coming from one end, and the Daleks are sort of following them from the back, uh, which is really great. But by the time they get this out... actually something which I've... Actually, I've cut you off there and go back on that bit there. So oh, yeah, I'm thinking sure. of a story which annoyed me slightly at the ambush. Which is? It... Ian was stood there for quite a while just watching the foul leader put himself in harm's way and preaching why they should be peaceful. Yeah, he was just sort of going, yeah, yeah, say your peace. <laughs> he literally <laughs> did. He just sort of let him get killed. Although, what could he have done? He could have at least said, run. Mm, Which would at least I... would give him a running start. I think the tension in episode four comes from the idea that you don't fully know what the Daleks are going to do directly like i think in hindsight because we've had all of this doctor who now we know what the daleks mm. going to do because they're daleks but back in yeah. 1963 no one really knew that the daleks would just straight up kill the guy yes so i think it's the shock and the indecision that works there yeah anyway what we were saying about thousand politics and all that stuff sorry cut you off completely yeah. anyway what all i was going to say was once uh, they get out of that situation and the leader is killed uh the new guy um which I'm going to get the name of, because they've all got classically odd names, as they did in the 60s. Aladon, that's it. Aladon becomes the new leader and is saying, you know, we're a pacifist race. We're not going to make the same mistakes. And Ian is just like, what What do you mean? Of course you're going to fight. You fools. Pick up your weapons yeah. now. And it then becomes a very interesting, almost moral fight within Ian about whether he's right or wrong about getting the fouls to fight for them. Because mm. essentially, just for a bit of plot as well for this bit here, just so you know what we're talking about, uh, the Doctor essentially removed a part of the TARDIS to say we can't leave, we're missing this part. Um, but then the, tar- the Daleks then take it off Ian, that piece which they, which the Doctor broke. Mm. Um, and then they then have to go back into there. So they discuss with Fowls trying to work out where they should break into the Daleks' layer, essentially. And Ian has this really good moral argument with himself for fouls and then later for companions and doctor as well Hmm. it holds through the whole episode and it gives ian's got the most depth out of the companions by miles Mm. at least for now Uh, and like i said before about him sort of trying to be the doctor he's having that internal moral struggle Mm. And it goes through the whole thing. And it just it just leads to really interesting character moments. And he gets to be a bit of an action man. And he sort of does a bit of everything. Whereas with Susan and Barbara, yeah. I mean, they're getting better. But they're still not really on the same level. So I see what you're, on your notes, you've literally put Susan and Barbara get to do more things. Susan and Barbara do get to do more things. <laughs> I, I mean, Susan obviously gets to do that running through the forest in two. Because um, Ian's legs get done. This is another interesting point. Ian when they initially see the Daleks, the Daleks are like, move here. And the Doctor and Susan move straight away and Barbara's already in prison by this point. Um, and then Ian doesn't move immediately. So the Daleks paralyse him. Which I think, I don't know if this is true, but I'm fairly sure that might be the only time for Daleks don't just go straight to kill. It might be, yeah. Because it's never, especially not in the new series. I don't know if it's just because, as we were saying right at the beginning, the Daleks have so much more depth. Mm. Oh, if oh, in the new series, it's just about fear. Yeah, yeah. So it, which I think is 
a different way of looking at it. And also, when they shoot, I was going to mention this, it's utterly meaningless stuff. I really like the little, like, tickly bits which come out when they shoot. Hmm. Do you, do you so know what I'm on about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's a nice effect. <laughs> yeah. For what they had at the time, bearing in mind Doctor Who 1963 is a £2.70 per episode budget, they've done yeah. very, very well. Like, the Daleks look as good as they do now. Yeah. It's really good. But then also, when um, sorry, go back to the moral argument side of things. Ian sort of drags a woman to be go to the. <laughs> ah, go, there's... Go, to, it's sort of he essentially Ian realizes it. Ian's persuaded by the Doctor and Barbara, which they need to get the fouls involved. So Ian just goes right. I'm going to essentially get these people to try to kill me. It's a that, tactic. It, he essentially goes look at all this history. They essentially have their massive history bank. He goes right. I'm going to take this to sell you out as for Daleks. And they go, okay, we won't do anything to you. So Ian just goes, right, I'll grab this woman. And <laughs> they, I'm going to take her to the Daleks. She can, they can experiment on her, you know. And, and then at that point, it's a thing which gets the fans to realise they might not, they might actually have to not be pacifists. Mm. It's, it's a massively against pacifism, isn't it, really? It's very against inaction, but I think that comes from um, that will have come from like the Second World War and the Cold War, because mm. that subtext was really the Second World War happened as a result of inaction from yeah, the side the, of the West, or well, I say the, the West, like Germany isn't part of it. The appeasement campaign between Britain and Germany, yeah, particularly Chamberlain, and basically just going to Hitler. Oh, don't invade Czechoslovakia. Hitler will propose someone. Oh, you invaded Czechoslovakia. Damn it, Adolf. We well, had this conversation. So we then get to the point where they they essentially do a two pronged attack. They go through the caves. Uh, a guy kills himself. Oh yeah, that's a whole sacrifice thing. Sacrifices himself. Basically, they go over a lake. So hold on, let me do this in detail. So the Doctor it and a, Susan. It was a cavern, really. Yeah, more of a cavern yeah. in the way they did it. The Doctor and Susan go in sort of via the front door, get captured and try to work their way out. Whereas the flip side mm. is Ian and Barbara are leading a foul rescue team. But to get there, they have to go through a toxic lake, which the Daleks are fine with, uh, but the fouls aren't. Uh, and that leads to this very tense sequence. I don't think the Daleks are okay with it. I think they just live with it. because It acts essentially like a moat to the back entrance to their city. Yeah, it's a defence mechanism, for sure. Mm. But So they essentially go into caves, caverns, try to find a way into the... Tar- for da- for blah, 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 into the <laughs> Daleks' <laughs> layer. <laughs> into the Daleks' layer. Um, and all that stuff. And then we're coming up to the end. Yeah, because by this point, we're at episode seven. I mean, the episode six cliffhanger, I should actually make a note of, is really good again. Because you've got that classic... Um, Foul hanging by a thread. Ian himself is not looking too stable, and they're really looking for a helping hand. And this uh, lake is toxic, so if they fall in, it's mm. done. Um, what? And then poor um, what is his name? I love this note system. Antodus or Antodus is the man who gives himself up. He cuts the rope with his uh, with his own with his own blade yeah, to save the others. To make sure make sure the other guys can go through. Which honestly probably destroyed Ian because Ian's moral thing was I don't want people to die on because of me mm, and then it has happened but then you get into the theme of like is it inevitable that that'll happen and then we get into the ending what did you think about the ending of the episode 
I, well, it's it's kind of a mix because there's some great things in it and there's some not so good bits in it. I think it lacked the impact which the earlier parts of this story had. I agree with that. What I did like and what I think did have impact was mm. when the Doctor realised exactly what the Daleks were capable of as a species. It's what we were talking about at- it's what we we're talking about earlier, earlier on. This is when the dark, when the doctor essentially realizes, which I can't just stand back anymore. I need to get myself involved. Hmm. Because he recognizes that if if the Daleks get out of there, and I mean he he starts it by baiting out his own TARDIS. He says, you know, I'll give you I'll give you the secrets of this damn machine. But then he realizes that they're just going to use that to go across the universe if they were ever to get it. Spoiler: They will, and start killing people left and right. And up and down and in all dimensions. So this is something which you've got written in your notes. I want you to explain because I'm not entirely sure what you mean by it. Daleks being killers does the Doctor start it. What I mean by that is that with the Doctor essentially revealing that he has the ability to travel through time in the ship, he gives the Daleks Mm. the knowledge that it is possible to do that. Perhaps if he was never Mm. there, they would never acquire that knowledge. And they may have just lived a continued existence on Death Planet with nothing else going on, relatively harmless to the galaxy. Yeah. Okay. So, overall then, you thought the ending was good on a character level? Good on a character level, but then in terms of the set piece itself, a little underwhelming. Especially with how tense the earlier scenes were, especially in sort of like the Fs when they have to escape, or that side of things. I honestly didn't really... I obviously care they escape, but I didn't feel intense. I didn't feel invested in their in their esca- yeah. in their plans. In the end, they kind of came across as bumper cars. It was a li- it was a little disappointing because they were just able to push them around. And yeah, this is something which got me as well. Is they spent the entirety of the episode hyping these guys up as being the ultimate killer, and then they turn into bumper cars. Yeah, when the time comes, they don't they don't shoot up. And, if, you know, the last one of the last few shots you see of Daleks is them hanging upside down, just getting pushed around on the floor like they're shopping trolleys and Asda. It's not, not the way for them to go out in this episode. It is underwhelming. Yeah. So there we go. That's episode two, I think. We've run... We've dilly-dallied away. We've, we've a little. Haven't, haven't taken a, a solid path through. So at, at the end, let's do our roundup out of ten. What did you think of the episode? I am going to give the Daleks uh, an eight. I'm give it an eight. Great introduction to the Daleks. Great development. I'm going to give it a seven. Give it a seven. So it was better than the Unearthly Child, but it was still slow. Oh yeah, the pacing is off. Certainly in the early stages, mm-hmm. it's very cumbersome and laboured, but it gets there. So currently, in our Tardis companion group, we've got three companions. What do our current companion group have in modern time, Doctor Who? We've got three companions. And the constant complaint is that they've got too many people in the TARDIS. Yes, that is a massive complaint. So we've, come, we've just done episode three of Doctor Who. For the 11th um, serial, I think they call them. Hmm. So that's half that. So we're going to say around five and a half. Yeah. So we've gone through five and a half episodes. Here. Yeah, I'd say so. Who has more depth? Graham, Yaz, and the other one, his name I don't remember, or Ian, <laughs> Susan, and Barbara. <laughs> By Miles, Ian, Susan, and Barbara. But this is the thing. We're not 
the complaint with Chibnall is not that it's down to just the amount of characters. Yes, it makes things harder if you're thinking of it from a writing level. The fact is the characters just aren't good. I'm not even saying that Susan and Barbara are good characters. They're capable characters. They do a job, but I wouldn't call them um, textbook examples of depth or anything like that. Like, I'm sorry, but who who the f***? And I'm going to please leave that in. Who the f*** cares about Ryan Sinclair? Whoever that's cared? his name. That's his I name. Forgot his name. And I had to like really remember that. It's not like oh Rose Tyler, Martha Jones, Donna Noble, Amy Pond, even Rory. I care. I care about that wet wipe a million times more than I care about Ryan Sinclair. That man has the emotional range of a teaspoon. And it's not his fault. You know he's acting well. It's just the writing is not there for them. And with that rant, we end this episode. <laughs> It's amazing how in 1963 they generally had better companion writing than we do now. <laughs> I just thought I'd introduce this idea to you. No, I, I, I'm quite, I quite like that. I quite like that comparison. I haven't even thought about it before. Yeah, I, It's I really damning. It, I was watching it thinking, you know what, I care more about Ian already. Genuinely, I care a lot more about Ian. The only reason I ever cared about any one of those three is because one of them is Bradley Walsh. And I quite like Bradley Walsh as a guy. <laughs> that really is right, it. So let's just warm up to the next episode. Okay. We leave. We're, we've overstayed our welcome by 15 minutes. It'll probably get cut down. Oh, yeah, we'll edit we, it down. We might remove Dalek changing light bulbs. And no, Dalek we're not going to be removing that. I know we're not going to remove that. <laughs> That's staying in. So we're for the last scene of TARDIS, so for little changeover is the TARDIS essentially explodes yeah whole great big explosion everyone's falling about goodness knows what's going on all we know is that the episode is called the edge of destruction maybe they've finally found out how to make their companions faint more than once when the TARDIS takes off they do love their fainting on Doctor (laughs) so anyway as you did the intro you also did the outro well, if you've made it this far, then uh, you've made it to the end of the episode. You have better endurance than I ever will. Uh, thanks very much for ploughing through this with us on Into the Black Archive. And if you've liked what you heard, you can get in touch with us as well. We're on Twitter. That's at Black Archive Pod. Or you can email us if you'd like. Or if you'd like to send us hate mail, we'll take that as well. It's, <laughs> what is it? It's blackarchivepod at gmail.com, isn't it, Owen? All in one. Well All in one. Yes. And lowercase. And remember to subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, on any feed that uh, you take your fancy. Uh, we will be back next week with another classic Doctor Who story from the William Hartnell days. And we'll be asking the big ethical questions. Just how many Daleks does it take to change a light bulb? And how many Daleks does it take to read a book? Find out more about our slow descent into insanity next week. <laughs> I'm James Stevenson. He's Owen Cranston. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Thank you for making it to the end of Info Black Archive. If you managed to make it this far, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah.